0: This is the Good Things Guy podcast with myself, Brendan DeCute, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy. I'm on a mission to change what the world pays attention to. I truly believe that there's good news all around us. And I spend my time hunting down and reporting on the best good news stories from South Africa and the world. In the Good Things Guy podcast, you'll meet these everyday heroes and hear their incredible stories. On Thursday, the 27th of September, Karin Lundy became a crime statistic. Apparently, one out of ten hijacked victims are taken and assaulted. That day, her number was up. Her story is heartbreaking, tragic, and somehow inspiring. She refuses to be a victim of this crime. She refuses to change the way she sees our country and our people because of three men who chose to viciously beat, assault, and terrorize her. She believes that those three men do not make up the whole of South Africa. And she is here in studio to tell us her story of Survival and Hope. Corin, welcome. It's an honor to have you sitting across from me. Just welcome.
1: Thank you, Brent. Thank you so very much for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here today, a month after the incident, as I choose to call it.
0: A month after the incident. So, so I met you a couple of years ago who were working on quite a big charity in South Africa, and you blew me away. I'd, actually, I may have spoken at the, the Junior Council first. You did. I you did. did.
1: Yes, you came and you inspired our Johannesburg Junior Councilors with your rec nominations.
0: That was it, yes. and that's, that's where I actually met you. I sat yes. at the table, and we got We broke chatting, bread. We broke bread and, and I got to know you, and then, and then later on, we worked on the CEO of Sleepout, where you, you had coordinated so many kids. Yes. So many kids.
1: The youth are my passion. So I really believe in the youth and working there's nothing that gives me greater pleasure than working with the youth.
0: What is it that you do day to day?
1: So um, I co-founded an organization called community hours um, we piloted it four years ago and it really is a vehicle to not only provide teenagers with um, volunteering opportunities to fulfill their curriculum requirements because doing community service is part of the IB curriculum, but I just wanted to try and really engage teenagers so that they would go beyond the curriculum requirements and become active citizens. Because I believe if our youth can be actively involved and engaged and there can be social cohesion, then together we can change South Africa.
0: Well, I mean, that's the biggest thing is that is that, that belief in change absolutely, and and it's, it's such a cliche it thing, it is a to cliche, say, but the, <laughs> the kids are going to make the difference. They are, and if we can instill in them um, your beliefs and, mm. and the belief in a better tomorrow, they'll be able to do that. So, what you do is incredible. Our kids have gone through your course, yes,
1: they have. They um, have. They,
0: uh, Matthew had to, w- which is our youngest, he had to make sleeping bags, he which did. you taught them how to make sleeping bags out of newspapers, and it just gives. The privileged kids of South Africa, and understanding that there are definitely um, people with the have-nots in our country, absolutely, and we need we need to be more aware of that.
1: Well, I think you proved with your rack nominations that one person can make a monumental change. So, if we have a whole generation, even if they're just doing little things, and some do really big things, and I know, paired forward Josie and Soul to Soul, and they've all um, featured on your show, and if we can sort of instill that that feeling of of Ubuntu and giving back. I think that our youth are not going to lead us tomorrow. I think they're already leading us. And I think that was taught to me actually by Johannesburg Junior Mayor. He said to me, Karen, the youth are not the leaders of tomorrow. We are the leaders of today. And, you know, perhaps we should just give them the reins because I think perhaps they do a lot better job than what uh, some people have been doing.
0: So, and this is why I started the show by explaining who you are and what you do because your heart is massive. You you are a beautiful human being, a, a ray of light. Thank and you. And someone that I that I honestly look up to. Whenever whenever someone phones me with some crazy idea <laughs> to give back or do something, I always phone you and I'm yes. like we have to work on this or yes. we do this or not. And
1: I love hearing from you and all of those <laughs> ideas really inspire me.
0: <laughs> but um but I got a, a harrowing message um from Yusuf Abramji mm. on Friday the 28th of September and he just said to me Corin's something's happened and she's in hospital and um it's tragic and i i i messaged him i was confused i uh, what what's going on and then he explained that you'd been in this hijacking um the details were not known but that you were at the Union Hospital in Alberton. And you know, I grew up in Alberton. Yes,
1: I do know that. You do know that. From LA, Lower Alberton. Lower yes.
0: Alberton. Yes. Grew up in Alberton. So I know the Union well. That's where I had my tonsils taken out. It's where I had my wisdoms taken out. It's where I had my arm fixed when <sighs> I broke it. And I immediately got on the phone and, and Googled their number and got hold of them. And I said, Can I come down? Can I see her? What's going on? And they said, No, she's, she's critical and she's in ICU. Mm-hmm. And we're only allowing um, immediate family. To be there and to see her. And that's that's when I phoned my fiance and I was in tears and I was like, How can this happen to her friend? Mm. Um, I'm not gonna get all emotional. You, <laughs> Don't because
1: then you'll set me off. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll
0: both just we'll be both drizzle boxes. Be, we'll both be chunking in the yes. studio. But a couple of days later, you put pen to paper. Yes. Once you'd once you'd recovered or you were in recovery. Well, I was
1: actually in ICU when I started to write. And for me, the writing process was cathartic and it's something that I really needed to do. And it's quite funny because I think um, I'm not... You know, hospitals are brilliant, but I don't love being in hospital. I don't think anyone loves being in hospital, but being in ICU was quite restrictive, as you can imagine.
0: Your phone was off?
1: I had no phone, yes. That was a big thing for me. No social media. And um, on the way back from the loo, I was the one person who could walk to the loo, and I insisted on walking to the loo. It was sort of taking back my power, and I'm independent. And um, I asked for some uh, paper and a pen, and they sort of very begrudgingly gave me two sheets of paper with the radiography logo on. <laughs> they said, you can only have these two. I said, oh, look, I don't really think your two pa- pieces of paper are going to be enough. And I started to write. And I really believe that writing my story, it was initially just for me, and it was a process, and it was something that I needed to do. But… I have been overwhelmed by how many people, total strangers from throughout South Africa and the world, have reached out to me. So perhaps it had a far bigger purpose than well, I this, intended. This is
0: exactly why I wanted you on the show because it, it definitely did. And and we'll get into um we'll get into what happened the other night when I went I went to a movie premiere mm. and you made me think differently. Yes. Which is 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 you know, tick the box. It's it's you've done you've changed one person's mind and I'm someone that loves you and knows you for yes. you you'll do that for strangers. What happened on Thursday, the 27th of September?
1: So it had been a very busy week. Um, Community hours, one of our offerings is to offer an outreach camp where we – Walkville is my hometown. I'm very proudly from Walkville. And um, Bosco, so St. John Bosco was a school – And it was the school that I went to. It's a very special place for me, and it's almost quite pivotal in the whole story. So not only is it where I went to school, but I met my husband, and that's where we were married, and my children were baptized. So I have got a really long history with Bosco. And we've chosen to host our camps at Bosco, because, obviously, I know the area very well and the incredible people doing incredible work in the community. So our camp is really around children from, from different schools come. It was a boys' school who are on that camp. And each day they go into the community and do different acts of, of, of community service. We do animals. We do Meals and Wheels. We do the environment. Um, and we do a baby center. So it, it really it, it changes the children's view on the world. And this was one of those camps. And on Thursday night, it's a week-long camp, we had planned a lip-sync battle, which the boys were very excited about, very, very excited. So I knew it was going to be a really fun evening, and I was really looking forward to it. So my daughter's in matric, and I thought, well, if she's in matric, I should have also studied in solidarity, and not being study fits at my age to study has been quite a thing. But I've done (laughs) social entrepreneurship at Gibbs, which has changed my world. It's been the most, and I've met such incredible people. And we'd had a syndicate assignment, and it was quite interesting. As you sort of think back, different things fall into place. And at the end of our syndicate assignment, we'd been talking quite a lot about prayer. And I'm a very spiritual person, but I'm not – Necessarily into organised religion, and one of my very dear classmates, Emily, was on her way to Bible study, and she said to me, "I'm going to pray for you." And if people offer to pray for me, I'm always most grateful because their intentions are good. And I said, "Oh, thanks, Emily. I'd really appreciate that." And for some reason, I actually had a really odd feeling in my stomach. I don't know why. I kept thinking, "Why are you feeling like this?" And I bought cold drink for the road because it was about a forty-five minute trip, and off I set. And I, I spent a lot of time in the car and I used the time to chat to friends. And just before I go left to Bosco, so just past Walkerville, I was on the phone to my friend Lindsay, which which was I think also just meant to be. And I didn't even see them coming. So up behind me came a white car. I, th- I think it was a Golf. And they had the flashing blue lights in, in the windscreen and a siren. And I thought, and what now? Because I knew I wasn't speeding because I know the road very, very well. So I,
0: did, you, did you think they were undercover cops? Like, cause it, I thought they it, were it real cops
1: because the thing is they, they came out of nowhere. So, I mean, I was merely driving along. And when I thought back, I remembered specific things while I was driving. So I was very, even though I was on the phone, I was very conscious of having overtaken a car to double lane road and, and all of that. So they really came out of nowhere. I, I hadn't seen them approach in my rearview mirror. The next minute, they were completely on my tail with the siren on and the blue lights. So I indicated to pull over. these um large, um in the yellow lane, the yellow lane areas like, like the
0: emergency. Yes, yeah. with
1: bus stops. And and they pulled me over. And I still remember saying, Linz, the, the police are pulling me over. Um, and she said to me, please don't stop. She said, just drive. Don't stop. So I said, but Linz, I've done nothing wrong. And I think I'd, you know, I'm a law-abiding citizen, so if I see a policeman or policewoman or or, or roadblock, I'm very respectful and grateful that they're doing their job. I'm always very cooperative in situations like that because I think we need more visible policing. So I said to her, I've done nothing wrong. So I wound down my window, and the first mistake – well, the first mistake was that I stopped. The second mistake was I wound down my window far too much, and (laughs) –
0: this sorry. is what do you what do you say uh Hansatz In is
1: a great thing yeah well, you, 2020 you yeah. can't no. you, you can't I know. I know. and
0: and if i or any of my listeners had to get stopped by what they believed was a policeman yes. you don't think of only opening your window a smidge
1: sure and and anyway so i opened it and he came to the window and i said please can you tell me why you've pulled me over and he said because you were driving in the yellow lane and i said to him, i'm sorry i was not and then i was quite irritated i said please can you show me he said and, and actually, this I hadn't realized, and it's not in my story, because Lindsay only reminded me afterwards. Now, you must think that Lindsay was on the, on the Bluetooth. Yeah. yeah. So she was on the – she could hear everything. And I said to him, um, please – he's told me to open my boot. And I said, well, I want to see some identification. Was and he dressed he- in police gear? So, you know, I actually don't know, because I looked straight at his face. It was 10 to 7, so it was just dark. And I just looked at his, you know, his face, which was quite far in, in the window. And – um, The next minute, he just, he leaned in and he took my keys out of my car. And obviously, by doing that, it unlocked the car. And a man jumped in the front seat and a man jumped in the back seat behind. And I was like, oh, my word. What is, I just, and all I wanted to do was get out of the car. That's all I wanted to do.
0: Were you at at that exact moment when you were most vulnerable, Mm. your car's off, the doors are unlocked? Yes,
1: and the men in my car.
0: You must have been I was petrified. petrified
1: and it was I remember screaming, and I remember saying, "No, no, no, let me get out, let me get out and I actually remember, and I think as the story unfolds, you see a lot of it's i 've dissociated, so it 's like I was there, but i wasn 't there, and I was watching it 's like it's watching quite, a movie it was like watching a movie, and I remember screaming, "No, no, 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 let me get out, let me get out, you can have my car you know we 've always got to remember that cars, bags, purses, cell phones. They can be replaced, but we've always got to look after ourselves and each other first. No, 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 let me get out. Let me get out. The one thing I don't remember is how my seatbelt, if if the man who took the keys out of my car, and I'll call him Gold Tooth Man because he had a gold tooth, um, I don't know if he had unplugged the seatbelt. And what they wanted to do is they they were pushing me through the middle of the car, so between the two seats to get get into the into the back. So I had the man in the front seat, um, and, and he's the one that I, I think I identify with least because I didn't really see any discerning tattoos or marks on him, but he was just hitting me. The man in the back was pulling me, and the, the gold tooth guy who drove was then trying to hoist me into the back, and I was fighting like mad.
0: And was Lindsay still on the phone? Lindsay
1: was still on the phone. So you can imagine how traumatized Lindsay. It's, 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 it really did because she heard these awful – screams stop stop please please let me just get out and i think she said she could hear the blows as well because all the blows were directed at my face and head um and i don't know if they hit me in the ribs um you know obviously later you, you only feel things later or if it was when they were hauling me between the seats and after quite a scuffle i don't think you know one on three is is fair odds they um got me to the back seat and the man in the back said, sleep, sleep. He'd wanted me to lie down. Now, by this stage, I was sitting on the back seat. I was directly behind the driver and the the tattoo man, because he had a very distinguished, uh, distinguishable tattoo on his, on his um left arm. um He was sitting next to me and the car then left. So obviously there was a driver in the other car as well. So there were obviously um, more. four they more or people. More? And uh, Lindsay said that she held on for... About a minute because she felt that what was going to happen is they were going to boot me out the car. And she would then be able to phone somebody and get help to come and fetch me. And when she realized that they'd take, she screamed my name. She screamed, Karan. And at that point, they realized that they were on. Um, A call. On, on Bluetooth, yes. So they found my phone and they switched it off and they asked me what my codes were for my phone, which I obviously gave them immediately. The man in the back said, sleep, sleep. And I said to him, I'm not lying down. I said, I will cover my um, my face with my hands, but I'm not lying down.
0: Where does that come from and why not?
1: I don't know. I just, I didn't want to lie down. I just, I needed to sit up.
0: You wanted Um, to see what was going on, what was happening, what was around you.
1: The fact that he told me to cover my face um, with my hands or not to look at them, he didn't want me to look at them, led me to believe that they weren't going to kill me. And I don't know why that was going through my head. But what was also going through my head is I can't actually believe this is happening. Like, I cannot believe this is happening. A lot of people have said, did you feel pain? And I was about voice, to ask that because yeah. you'd been,
0: you'd already been beaten.
1: I'd be, so there was blood. I could taste the blood in my mouth from my nose and what have you. I could feel my, my eyes starting to swell. Um, you know, thank God I've never been beaten. So it was a completely foreign experience to me. But at that time, I felt absolutely no pain. I felt the blood, but I felt. No pain. I do remember seeing white at one stage, like um, almost. I don't know if I sort of blacked out, almost blacked out for a second, Um, but I was sort of quite conscious. So I was sitting with my hands over my eyes, and they were talking Zulu to one another. And um, my mother is fluent in both Zulu and Sutu, so I was able to follow some of their conversation. And so odd. I mean, the man, the tattoo man, he actually took a call and said to the person who called, I'll phone you back in two hours. I was like, what? You know, you're taking calls here. Really? It was surreal. It and was surreal. I, I was about surreal. to say, it's so
0: nonchalant. No, um, no, no, no. I've just, no. I've just I've no. hijacked someone. I've abused a woman. Sure, and I'm just I've been beating her
1: now. We aren't in her car, but like, I'll, I'll phone you back in two hours. And I was really... Anyway, so he then, um, I had diamond earrings in, and he took my one earring out and I dropped my hands to take the other earring out. Um, sorry, but if we go before that, he told me they were very professional and he told me they were the Soweto boys. And had I ever heard of the Soweto boys? And I said no, but I knew that by him telling me that they were very professional meant that that was a button that I could push. So clearly ego, ego. was a big, I was gonna a big, say a, a big part to play. So when I took my other earring out, I said to him, I'm cooperating with you. I said, I acknowledge that you're professional and I know that you're professional. So here's my earring. I am working with you because I thought I've just got to find a way out. Survival kicks in. I just, I knew I wanted to survive. Then the, the gold tooth driver said to me, we want 5,000 rand. So I said to him, well, I don't have, you know, I don't know who carries 5,000 rand. I never have money. I barely have parking money no, wait, in no, my well, purse. The, I never have cash the,
0: the world is moving to a no, space where we no, don't work no. with cash and the, I actually had
1: 200 rand in my purse which was quite odd because I'd, I never have money so I said to them I've got 200 rand in my purse I've got three cards uh, I'll give you the pins and you can draw money from all the cards so you can draw a thousand rand from each card oh he says so we can get 15,000 rand I was like no you dummy you can get a thousand rand from each card one times three is three not 15 anyway I kept that to myself um and uh the man in the front was just savage. You know, he would just lean through the back and just hit me and say, and I know this is probably heard by children, so I'm not gonna drop an F bomb, but he'd say F you, F you, and just hit me. Just just Like aggr- me. aggressive and violent. Incredibly aggressive and, and full of hate. So they asked me what tracking system my car had, so, you know, who, who the company was. And I specifically know for my car, there was never a tracker that was required. So I said to them, my car does not have a tracker. And every time I said to them, my car does not have a tracker, they hit me because they didn't believe me. So they would continue. They'd say, what tracking device does your car have? And I'd say, it doesn't. And then they'd they just hit me. they just rain the blows down. I mean, it never it never stopped. And then they asked me very strange questions. They asked me um, the monthly instalment on the vehicle, and they'd asked me, um, which I don't know why they asked that. And they also asked who I was insured with. And I know our broker very well. You know, we've worked with him for thirty years. So I knew Hink, but I thought that's not going to really cut it. <laughs> and then I thought, old mutual popped into my mind. I thought, I don't know if they do car insurance. So I said, first for women. So clearly they've got a good ad campaign. So well done, first for women. Lindsay had continued to phone. So So your phone
0: was ringing. ringing. And it's it's ringing in the car. It's ringing
1: in the car because it actually comes up on the screen and it says she's phoning. And they said to me, who keeps phoning? So I said, that is my colleague, Lindsay. I said, I'm due at a camp in five minutes. I said, they are expecting me. She's at the camp and she wants to know where I am. And that information settled them Tremendously. Unsettled re- them. Uh, unsettled them, sorry. And, yes. it,
0: a, and Lindsay wasn't at the, at no, no, the camp? No,
1: no, no, no. Lindsay wasn't at the camp. She was safely at home.
0: So it's just you thinking, what's another way? It was just me thinking,
1: way what, of- what can I do? I need to put pressure on these people and let them know I'm expected somewhere. Um,
0: did, you, did you explain as well why you were talking that the camp was nearby
1: yes I said it's just down the road I said please just drop me at the gate I said it's just down the road I said you can have the car I said my Mac is in the boot my beloved Mac um, which I now no longer have but you know it's just a thing um, my, my phone my bag my purse you know your, all your things license I said just Take don't, just drop me and go Yeah. Um, they said well we've got a special machine that can look for the tracker and what can we do to you when we find the tracker I said well you can kill me I said, because this car does not have a tracker. Then another good friend of mine, Sharon Gordon, phoned and, and what had been happening was that Lindsay had heard these terrible screams and, and I, I feel desperate that, that she lived through that and the sort of hour that ensued after after Because she, she, heard she that. must have thought the worst. She was frantic. So Lindsay there was actually a book launch at Gibbs. So a lot of my classmates were at Gibbs, and she phoned Sharon Gordon, who's another classmate and very good friend of ours who was at Gibbs because Lindsay had known that I was had been there. And Sharon had not answered because she was at a book launch, and eventually Lindsay sent a message to say, would you answer your bleep, bleep phone? Something's wrong with Karen. And Sharon answered. But Sharon's a very, very calm person, and she's a very um, – well, she's a lawyer, but she just really is very calm in situations. And then she phoned my phone. And they made me answer. They made me speak to her. So.
0: Did they make you answer because it was a different person calling? I
1: think maybe they did because it had been ba, 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 ba. Because what had been happening was that Lindsay had then got her son, who I know quite well through community hours. And um, he said to her, Mom, keep phoning, keep phoning. And he'd been trying to phone 10111. So he said, You just keep phoning Karen. So Sharon phoned and they said to me, You're going to answer and you're going to say that everything's fine. So I said, okay. So I remember my voice voice being very shaky. You must think that I'd been beaten and beaten and I was petrified. And I mean, this thing actually wasn't even happening to me. And I answered the phone and I called her Jules. So Jules is another friend of ours.
0: And sorry, her name came up on the screen. It did. Okay. It
1: did. But they didn't. They They didn't didn't click. No, they didn't click. So um, I said, hi, Jules. And she said to me, and I could hear she was very tense. Yeah. And she said, are you okay? I said, yes, I'm nearly at the camp. I'm going to be there in five minutes. I said, I'm five minutes away, Jules.
0: You're so clever.
1: So she, I don't know if I'm clever. I just, it's, it's almost like something took over. I don't think anything can prepare you for a situation like this.
0: I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes, which I could never. But to hear you using words like, I'm five minutes away. Yeah. I will be there now. It just makes, it, it puts this time sensitivity it on it. It, it means that you're in the area. It's giving away all these clues as to, as to like where exactly. you are.
1: So she knew immediately. She said she could hear by the the shakiness in my voice—that something was really not right—and
0: the jewels thing as well. The jewels
1: thing, and the fact that I said to her, "I know you at camp," and she's not, and she's she at wasn't Gibbs. at camp, so she knew she was at Gibbs that something was wrong. She then got off the phone and phoned Luke Lamprecht, who is another very good friend. Who we know Luke who, we know well. well. He does incredible work, and throughout this entire ordeal, Luke has just been the rock that he is to so many people, and I'm I'm really grateful to all the incredible people in my life. Um, and if I do sound all blocked up, I do apologize. Um, unfortunately, the only thing that was broken in 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 the attack, well, my septum was deviated. Yes. Yep. So I'm still hoping that that will come right on its own. Sharon phoned Luke. Luke phoned the camp facilitators and told them that something had happened and they needed to get in the car and come and look for me. Um We then continued to drive, and because my hands were covering my face, it actually felt like we were going left off the road, but we went right. Okay. And a very um, fortunate thing is that I know that area very, very well, because when I was at school down this tiny little gravel road, my friend from school had had a ski slope. And also when we were at school, they used to drop us there and make us run back to school for cross country. So it, it's, it's an area I knew really well. When I visited the scene afterwards, my husband took me because I really needed to to see and just close it. Um, he said to me, you can see why they brought you here. Firstly, it shows they knew the area really well because it's not a road that many people would know. He said, but if you park far in enough, you've got clear sight of the, the Bosco Road. He said, and secondly, you can't from this road see the car. So that's why they took you there. So they took me down the road. I could obviously feel the change of surface from the tar to the gravel. And, um, the tattoo man in the back hauled me out of the car and the other two started to search the car. I could hear them throwing things out and what have you. Clearly, they were searching for the tracker. Initially, he pushed me towards, there were reeds. And, um, it, because he was behind me, um, I thought, this is it. I thought of Lee Matthews yes, because she had she been killed down the road, literally. I thought of her, and as much as I was very calm, and I was, I thought, well, if this is it, if I'm going to die, then I was at peace with that. But at the same time, I've never wanted to live so much. So it was this the thing where I thought, well, I'm going to die, but also I really need to live. And at that time, I thought the most of my children, of my daughters. And I thought, thank God this is me and not them, because I never would want my children or anybody else's children or anybody else to ever be in that situation that I was. He then realized that he couldn't push me that way, so he turned me around, and it was an incline. When I went back the following week to see it, it was very, very rocky and lots of branches. And I stumbled and I reached out to grab his arm to stop from falling. And he hit me and he said, don't you touch me. So I stumbled up and he pushed my head down into the sand. And I remember it being quite sandy. Um, I I don't know why, but he pushed my face into the sand. And he said to me, um, you know, what, what tracking system do you have? And I said, after all the pain you've inflicted on me, do you not think that I would tell you if I had a tracker? And that obviously exasperated him. My husband was very rude. He said, I can imagine you exasperating him. <laughs> he said, I can quite imagine that <laughs> And he then picked up a rock and he hit me with a rock. On your head. On my head, yeah. Um, all the the blows and 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 the the assault was all around my face and my head. So it all you know was, was in that area and on my neck and, and sort of chest. He then said to me, Once we found your tracker, all three of us are gonna rape you. And I said to him, and I, I remember being very calm. And as I said earlier, it was like I wasn't there. It's like there was somebody there, but I was watching. And I said to him, you can rather kill me than rape me. I said, you're not going to rape me. I said, that is not going to happen. He then um, forced me to remove my pants. and Or he took my shoes off first, and they were my favorite shoes. I was really, really quite annoyed about that. But, um, he made me take, or he, he took my shoes off and, uh, he, he removed my pants and he pulled my panties off. So I was exceptionally vulnerable. All I had on was my top. Um, and I remember I kept pulling it down because it was quite a long top and I, I kept pulling it down because I felt, you know, vulnerable. to have no pants on, incredibly vulnerable. So not only was my face, um, I still didn't feel pain, but I, the, the sort of nakedness of the lower half of my body was, was not a good, a very uncomfortable feeling. It was horrible. And he said to me, um, have you ever given a black man a blowjob? So I said to him, no. So he said to me, well, now you are going to give me a blowjob. And I remember saying, after all the damage you've done to my mouth, you can't honestly expect me to give you a blowjob. Did you say that? I did. I did. You know, I sort of – and like I said, I don't know where it came from. But I was just like, really? Really? It was, but I was incredulous. Like, what is wrong with you, actually? Never mind the beating, but the, like, you're actually asking for a blowjob. I mean, really. He then, um, asked me if I hated all black people. And I said, I don't hate any black people. And he said to me, Are you white? And I said, No, I'm a South African. I said, I am a South African. Because I didn't think it mattered. Um, If I was white or colored or Indian or black, it just, I was a woman and he was a man and he was inflicting all of this trauma on me. He did say to me, um, you know, he he tried to, he was hitting me and saying, turn over, turn over. I'm going to get my condom. I'm going to rape you. And I said to him, you aren't going to rape me. I said, I'm a married woman. He said, well, why don't you have a wedding ring on? See, my jewelry was in my car because often if I drive, I would take everything off and put it in the middle console. So my watch was there and my ring was there and, and uh, the earrings are what I had in, but everything else was in the middle console. And, um.
0: Did you tell him that then?
1: No, 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 no. No, no. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't tell him that my jewelry was there. I d- it didn't, it I didn't, just said, yeah. I'm a married woman. And he said, you didn't have a wedding ring on. Um, he then got really angry with me. I think he was feeling, uh, you know, like
0: frustrated, very
1: frustrated. And he turned me over and it was the second time I thought I was going to die. And he put his knee and his full body weight on my throat and completely stopped me from from breathing. And, um, you know, we always see those movies where people sort of gurgle. And I was I remember doing that and I couldn't breathe. And I thought to myself, okay, so this is it. I'm now going to die. Um, He then took his knee off. I don't know how long it was on me, but the bruising on my neck was severe. It actually went black. So there were two, and I've still got, the, 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 that's the only area, the body's an amazing thing, and my body has healed remarkably. I've got no bruising on my face anymore. And my neck, there's just shadows of bruising. But otherwise, I physically, I'm absolutely perfect. And it, it's, it's amazing. I then heard the car start um, and start to move on the gravel. And I felt him because my eyes were closed. What he'd done is he'd taken my pants and he'd put them over my face, um, and sort of so that I couldn't, couldn't see. see. And he, um, he, I then felt him leave and I heard the car leaving. And I remember sitting up and thinking, what has just happened? What, what, what has happened? And my first thing was, I've got to get away from here. Um, I've got to leave. I can't be here. You can't stay. I can't stay here. And I remember putting my pants and my panties on, well, my panties and my pants, and then thinking, I don't know why I didn't think of to put my shoes on. So I walked barefoot. And I think maybe it, it was yeah, just to get away. It was just, I think I just, in that state, I just needed to get away. And I walked up to what the Bosco Road, and I thought, well, do I go left to Bosco, or do I go right to the rehab center? Because I thought, you know, in both places, they're people.
0: And how far was each place from where you so, were?
1: Bosco was two and a half kilometers, and I'm not quite sure about the rehab. Probably much of a muchness, I, I, I sort of imagined, but I thought, I'm going to go left. I'm going to go towards Bosco. And I said in my story, I think it's the pull that Bosco has, um, because for so many years, it was such a happy space for me, having gone to school there, and I have really, really good memories.
0: Something something that you've, you've left out, and, oh. and I need to ask. <laughs> During this whole process, so Lindsay's got hold of people at Gibbs. She has, yes. They, they are panicked. Your yes. friends are all panicked. Yes. What about your hubby?
1: So thank you for, for bringing that up. As you write, I, I do tend to forget. and then Well, there's so many yes. things that are there's going so on. Ma- there's right? so many things going on. So what had happened was that, and, and, and it's a very important thing, and maybe we could just sort of pick it up at the end, is that as much as they're my very good friends, they don't know my husband and they don't have his number. Oh, so at Gibbs, they were frantically searching well, yeah, th- I
0: mean, I have your number, I don't have your hobbies no number.
1: no, Andrew might though, yeah, because they've done some work together but so they um at Gibbs, they were busy going through the um the files to to pull my personal information to get his number. And in the interim, Jules, who I spoke about earlier, Julie had got hold of a mutual friend, Joni, who she knew would have Mick's number. And she phoned Mick, but she obviously was trying to play it down a bit and just said, Karen's in trouble. She needs help. How can we get hold of her?
0: Uh, Another call just coming through. Uh, People (laughs) are calling and we haven't even gone on air. It's amazing.
1: (laughs) So Julie had phoned Joni, but she hadn't really – said to me, Karen's been hijacked. She just said, Karen's in trouble. And my girls and I have an incredible app called Life360. And Life360, it helps me to track my children, not because I don't trust them, but because I need to know when they're safe. And I can't always phone to say, are you home? Have you arrived at school? Varsity or whatever it might be. And it's an incredible app because it actually shows you not only where they are, but the battery life. And when you've got teenagers, it shows you how fast they've been driving. So it's very beneficial. (laughs) So... Mick had said to Claudia, look where your mother is. And they could see I was near Bosco. And he got quite irritated. And he thought, you know, really, everybody's looking for her. Her battery's going flat because at this point my battery was going flat. And I bet you she's having a cup of tea and she hasn't got back to anybody. And I'm very grateful for that because um, they were in Bedford View. And from Bedford View to Walkerville, they weren't overly stressed
0: they weren't driving quickly no, they weren't no. panicked. they were
1: sort of coming to really say to me come on now you need to wake up with your phone you need to return calls yeah. you need to let people know you're safe
0: which which means that they didn't deal with no, the trauma no, that sort of you no, and Lindsay and everybody no, else had to do no.
1: but the pin drop by this stage my phone was off so that the, the men had left me there Um, they drove down the road and they they initially thought it was a cat, but it was actually the reflector. So in my car, they had been reflector vests in case there was an emergency, and they'd thrown those out, and the lights from from their car caught those, and they got out and then saw my stuff. Because I'd been at Gibbs, I had all my notes, and they immediately noticed my handwriting and and all of those kind of things, and then panic set in, and I wish I could take those moments away. So they didn't know if I was dead or alive. They were shouting. Um, Claudio phoned 10-triple-one. And that she said to them, my mother's been hijacked. And they said, how do you know? So she said, because we found her stuff. And they said, where's her car? And Claudia was like, well, well I don't hijacked. know. she's been hijacked. Well, where's your mother? So Claudia was like, I don't know. And then they said, well, what do you want us to do? And Claudia actually said thank you and hung up.
0: My mouth is hanging open.
1: Yeah. So, you know, once again, I think there are other apps that, that we're now exploring where people are better equipped, let's just say, to help you in a situation like that. Um, Mick had then phoned his brother, who is an active member of, in 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 all of this CPF in our area. It's called Compol. Those men and women who volunteer their oh, time incredible. are rock stars. They they are the heartbeat of our community, and I really think we need to do so much more in terms of supporting our CPFs and Compol. So he had alerted um, the the man who Craig, who's in charge of our area, and um, people had already sort of got in their cars to now come and look for me. Um, so they had seen my stuff and started shouting, but obviously I was walking, now, you know, barefoot to Bosco. And I remember as I got onto the Bosco road, I tried to wave down um some cars and they didn't stop. And I didn't blame them, though. I wasn't angry or anything because I thought, you know, the, was, I didn't know what the time was at that stage, but I thought it's dark. It's, it's quite a lonely road. I certainly wouldn't have stopped. And the the sad thing is, Craig, the gentleman I mentioned, he he knows somebody who drove past and saw me and didn't stop. Mm. And that person feels tremendously guilty. But I don't think they should because we've got to be safe. Maybe, once again, if you can phone someone and say, look, there's some, you know, ob woman walking along the road. Can someone check it out? But I still wouldn't recommend people to stop. I really wouldn't. And then fear set in. And I thought, what if? What if they come back? So every time I saw car lights, because it's you know it's 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 a long sort of country road, I would dash off the road and hide behind a tree. Um, and on one of my trips down the embankment, I stood on a beer bottle, oh my and gosh. it went into my foot. So, and I remember very calmly just pulling it out my foot and thinking, okay, just another thing to deal with. And then I got tired of rushing off the road, and I just would go off the road and lie down uh, in the dirt, um, just so that the lights wouldn't catch me. But, of course, what I was really doing is playing the the world's best game of hide-and-seek because at that stage,
0: everybody everybody was
1: looking for me, and I was hiding. So I continued to walk, and as I got to the crest of the hill, I could actually hear the boys and they're cheering and they're singing. And I just thought to myself.
0: Because the boy I mean, the they, boys, they wouldn't have been affected. They'd they had gone on with the limp battle. So, because
1: we've got such an incredible team, our team didn't skip a beat. And nobody on that camp knew until they got back to school the next day. Nobody was told. Uh, we have the most brilliant team of facilitators um, and activators. They're just phenomenal young people. And so they were looking for me, but I could hear the boys singing and cheering. And it was like they were cheering for me. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to be okay. I'm just going to carry on walking and I'm going to be okay. And then I needed to wee. A friend's always joked that I've got a cheap Chinese bladder. He says it always just, you know, it doesn't work well. So I had a wee because I thought, you know, really, I've got snot and blood running down my face. If, you know, I have really, in terms of dignity, who cares? And I carried on walking. And uh, the Ferrero Rocha Chocolate Factory is actually opposite. And I was like, well, do I go to Bosco Security or Ferrero Rocha? But Bosco was closer. And I remember arriving at the gate, and I later found out that the, the uh, security guard's name is Fortunate, which I was very fortunate. I really was. And I called to him, and I remember his face. I just remember seeing this man's face of absolute shock and horror at horror. my face. And only then did I start to cry. It was the first time that I cried.
0: Do you think that when you saw Fortunate, you felt safe?
1: I did. Because, um, you know, the... the it's, it, it's my space. It's a space I know well. So when I saw Fortunate, I knew it was going to be okay. So the little things, the boys singing, seeing Fortunate. So Fortunate let me in and I said, I've been hijacked. Please can I phone my husband? And Fortunate said, I'm so sorry. I don't have airtime. Oh gosh. <laughs> it's like, okay then. So he took my arm and he gently walked me. And he was very kind and he was very gentle. And he didn't say much at all, but I could just see everything on his face. I mean, his face just said it all. And then as we were walking down, I could see someone with a cell phone. And it's it's the kitchen supervisor from Bosco, her name's Irene. And obviously, I'd been there all week, but she didn't recognize me. She didn't know it was me. And I said to her, please, can I use your phone? And I phoned Mick, um, and I was so afraid he wasn't going to answer. And he answered and I could just hear in his voice that he was panicked besides himself. And I said, please come and get me. And he said, where are you? I said, I'm at Bosco. And I sent Fortunate back to the gate because I thought the last thing I needed is for Mick to get there and for the gate not to open. And Irene walked me. We didn't even get round the corner and Mick arrived with my youngest daughter, Claudia. And they jumped out the car and Claudia took one look at me and just went, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And she said to me she wanted to vomit. She said she couldn't believe what I looked like. And well, I, I, I mean, I've her, seen the photo. So yeah. your one, but your you must one eye that. swollen. And Absolutely. Completely swollen shots. Those photographs were taken after I'd been cleaned at the hospital. So what they saw was much worse because I had blood caked all over my face. Mud. And I had sand and mud. And so when they found me, I looked a lot worse than those pictures, which are scary on their own, um, from the hospital. And the, it was very important for me to say to them I have not been raped. So I said, I'm fine, and I have not been raped. And then I just cried. And I remember Mick pulled us both into his arms. Claudia at one point actually had to turn away. She was so emotional. And I think it was just that whole relief that I was alive and I was actually okay. And I remember seeing John because John is one of our facilitators. And I remember seeing his expression and just people's horror at what I looked like. And um, we then had a discussion around which hospital to go to. And because I was then, you know, I think feeling really awful, and I just wanted to go to the closest hospital. And Mick spoke to his brother, and they said, no, they were going to take me to the union because it is a trauma hospital. And they were phenomenal. And I remember driving. So there's certain things that I remember really well and other things that sort of I get reminded of. I remember being in the back of the car. I remember Claudia answering a call from Luke But my other daughter at that stage didn't know because we hadn't – no one had told her. There was no need to worry her. And she was actually at her boyfriend's house for dinner, very close to where Bosco is. And then somebody had sent her message to say, I'm so glad your mother's okay. Oh, gosh. Oh, no, I'm so sorry to hear about your mother. And she just panicked. She was like, what's wrong with my mother? So she phoned, and Mick just took her through very calmly that I was okay, okay. I had been hijacked and they were on their way to the hospital and her boyfriend's parents then very kindly drove, because I said under no circumstances can she drive, under no circumstances and her boyfriend's parents brought her
0: through to the hospital. So I started off um, the show by saying it's heartbreaking and tragic, but there's, there's this glimmer of hope And inspiration. And you've taken us through this horrible ordeal that no one should ever have to experience. No. No one. No. How have you not lost your faith in our country?
1: Because we've got to remember that three bad men don't define a whole nation. And I know that if only there were just three bad men in our country. I know there are a lot of very bad men and women. But good will always prevail over evil. And in the darkness, there will always be light. And we need to ensure that we are the light for other people and that good has to prevail. We have to, as South Africans, when I say fight back, I don't mean take up arms. Please don't get me wrong. But we have to be conscious. And we need to rally around as communities. So we spoke about CPFs and COMPOL and things earlier. If you are not able to uh, patrol or do what the CPF does, then ask yourself, what can I do to help the CPF? Can I fundraise? Can I provide thermoses of hot coffee? Can I just tell them thank you? How often do we say to these men and women who give up so much of their own time, thank you. Thank you for protecting us. And I, I just really think we need to start working together far more.
0: So, you, you, I mean, you run something called Community Hours, which is based on kids. Yes. And I see much greater things in your future from this. The, the If we want better neighborhoods, we need to be yes. better neighbors.
1: We do. We do.
0: And I think, um, I mean, I, I read the story when you wrote it and I sobbed. Yeah. <laughs> and sitting here today, I've got tears in my eyes because, again, no one should have to no. experience what you went no.
1: through. I, I, don't, I My hope, if, if anything from my story, and I already know of one woman who had read the story and it happened in the same area and it happened at the same time two weeks later um, and she was also driving the same make of car, uh, uh, people in a white gulf came up behind her and she wouldn't stop because she'd read the story and she started to think, where do I go? Do I go to security at... Blue Saddle ranches. where do I go? They pulled up beside besides her and indicated, and she put her foot flat. And as she started to head towards the security boom, they made a U-turn and left. So if that story that I wrote saved that well, this, woman.
0: This, this, this That you're retelling your story now. I read your story. I went to a movie launch. It ended really late. We left Mall um, of Africa out here in, in Midrand, Waterfall at around midnight. Mm. And I live in Danefern, so generally we go through back the horsey road. area, yeah. um, the back routes. And at midnight I went, no, I'm not going to take some silly back road because it's quicker. I'm going to stay where the lights are on and I'm going to travel where it's a little bit safer. And I'm going to be a little bit more aware of my surroundings. Much more aware. And it's, uh, it wasn't the only thing I could think of, of the whole time that I made that quick decision was you. Yeah. And, and it, it, it maybe didn't save my life and it maybe didn't make a difference but maybe it did exactly and i think that's um before bringing you on the show you and i had also discussed this this idea of um of of driving when yes. you see police or when someone's trying to stop you and As noble as it is to drive to a police station, I mean, you said your daughter asked you, where's the police station in Kamara? Yeah.
1: So we were on Kamara and we were discussing this. And she said to me, and it does also open conversations. And I think it's conversations that people need to have with their family. Should this happen to me, what do I do? And the closest to my mind police station is Boyson's and she would never find it. And why would you put yourself at risk driving that distance? And my hope is that if a collective of people could get together with CPFs and, and who so active in different areas and create safe spaces. So be at petrol station and, um, and I'm not for one minute saying, you know, don't stop in, in roadblocks, which we know legit because there are so many uh, great police presence. But when you in the car and a car pulls up behind you because there is doubt, acknowledge that you see that they're there. Put your hazard lights on. But if we could find safe spaces for people to go, brightly lit areas where you arrive hooting and people know that you need help. If there are real police,
0: then they're understand. not going to have a problem with that. They'll understand. They will
1: understand. But it just, you know, and very often the security companies in an area have their vehicles stationed at the petrol stations. So not for one minute wanting to put petrol attendants at risk, but just saying, In each area, where is a safe space to go? And knowing that,
0: and I think that's—I mean, like I said, something bigger will come from this. because I hope so. You're an action person. And I am. Um, I'm, I'm s- a South
1: African. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sitting here with tears in my eyes. You don't have a single one. You are—you are brave and you are confident and you are still obviously dealing with yes, a trauma. Yes, I am dealing with a trauma. Yes. But but there's something inside of you that wants to do good for our country. Absolutely, and, and I'll never
1: stop. I'll never ever stop.
0: I love that. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today.
1: Brent, thank you. Thank you for asking me to share my story. I really appreciate it. I
0: think it's so important. If, um, if you can give any advice, um, to other listeners, I mean, we do have a comment section underneath this. Sure. Let let us know what you think. Should we should we make petrol stations yeah. our safe havens? They've got CCTV, yeah. they've got the security that are there. Do you have a better idea? Should we should we put stickers on our cars that say Absolutely. we don't stop? Sure. Um, we'll you know
1: somebody has done that, but I don't think it's 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 got huge yet. So I think South Africans need to stand up as a community and say, well, what are we going to do if you come into our area? You know, very often they say, welcome to Walkerville. Um, maybe those sounds could say welcome to Walkerville." do not stop but if you need to there's a help at wherever
0: if it doesn't happen after this i know you will make it happen um (laughs) thank you for joining me on this good things jackpot uh wishing you only good things thank you brent that's it wishing you only good things and for more good things visit www.goodthingsguy.com okay love you bye